What's up, winners? It's Devon Pouncer here, and I want to talk to you all about our new venture with this podcast. We are officially on Patreon. The Wake Up and Win podcast is on Patreon. You can just go to patreon.com slash wakeupandwinpod, and you can subscribe and join our very first tier, which is called the Just Win Baby tier. With this tier, you're going to get bonus content weekly from this podcast, and I can already tell you this weekend we're going to have a fun conversation about NFTs and the metaverse. So it's going to be fun, going to be interesting, and it's going to be something that hopefully you learn from. But again, just $5, you can join our very first tier level. We will have more tiers to come in the near future as we progress. Appreciate you all for listening to this podcast. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, let's get it rocking with the show. Now, say now, you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios, and I'm rocking solo today, y'all. My guys came here the first week of 2022, but when I told them we had a Patreon, they didn't show up the second week. But guess what? The party don't stop as the tick continues to talk. We are going to still have Patreon content. We're obviously going to have this episode here right now for you, so enjoy it. I actually got a pretty cool friend of mine who's going to come on and talk to us on the Patreon content about NFTs and the metaverse and how it affects sports and how it affects society at large. It'll be a fun conversation. And I know a lot of people are interested in learning about NFTs right now. So it'll be pretty cool for you all to hear from somebody who's into it. He writes about them and he'll be able to give you at least more insight than I can about NFTs. And that should be good enough for you. But before we get into some content Let's talk about some announcements as we do have things coming up tomorrow night, which will be today when you hear this podcast. I will be on the call at the Pacific University. It will be Pacific versus Lewis and Clark College. 6 p.m. tip off for the women's team, 8 p.m. tip off for the men. And you all should come out to Forest Grove if you can and enjoy it. If not, you can go watch it on GoBoxers.com. And you just go to the schedule and hit the watch link and you'll be able to see me or hear me on the call for both the men's and women's programs at Pacific this week. Um, Also, in the case of Portland State, there has been some postponed games recently, obviously due to COVID and all the things. But Portland State will be back in action. I'll be back on the call over there on Monday, January. Oh, no, excuse me. I'll be there Thursday, January 20th, they'll be playing against University of Montana. Then Saturday, January 22nd, they'll be playing against Montana State. And then right after that, on January 24th, they'll be playing against the University of Idaho, which will be um, a makeup game for the game that was postponed on New Year's Day when they were supposed to play against the University of Idaho. But uh, coronavirus had other things. Omarion, the Omarion variant. Again, we, we're giving pop culture reference over there. I know it's called Omicron or whatever it's called. I still don't even know how to say the word. But for the sake of this podcast, and we're all about the culture, the Omarion variant postponed the New Year's Day game. So that game will be played on January 24th. Also, I've been getting a lot of inquiries about it. I just want to get you all prepped and excited. In February, I will be back hosting the Street Roots podcast again. 
We took a little bit of break with the Street Roots podcast. We had some sweeping changes with our editorial department at Street Roots. And not for bad, but, you know, things just happen. People move on. And we got in some new staffers that are doing an excellent job at Street Roots. But with the Street Roots podcast, it's really collaborative, obviously, with myself as the host of the podcast and the editorial team and the content that we produce by way of the podcast. So be on the lookout. February, we're bringing it back. The Street Roots podcast will be rolling once again. I'm excited about it. Again, many of you have asked me about it. Um, we get a lot of great interviews over there. And if you haven't already, go subscribe to the Street Roots podcast with Devon Pouncey, and you can listen to some of the great guests we've had on there, from Senator Wyden to Senator Merkley to Portland City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty to... Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori. We've had so many different people and a wide range of people join the podcast already. And in February, we will be getting it back rolling at least twice a month, at least twice a month. So I'm super excited to that. But now that I sit here by my lonesome, let's get into some content for the day. Um, I'm actually going to play a clip because we did have the unfortunate passing of the late, great Sidney Portier. Sidney Portier was an actor. He was the first black Oscar winner. So he was the first Academy Award winner for the Oscar as a black man, which obviously, I mean, it doesn't get much more self-explanatory than that in terms to what his legacy means to the black community and to the entertainment industry at large. But I actually got to join TRT World News. I, I joined them quite often. Um, out in Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey, but they also broadcast in Washington, D.C. and in London. And so I did an interview with them for about five minutes that I want to play here for you all because I want to just dedicate the beginning of this episode to Sidney Portier and the trailblazer that he was. So uh, sit back and enjoy podcaster and joins us from Portland in Oregon. Devon, thank you so much for your time. I don't know if you've seen many of Sidney Poitier's films, but that short clip that we showed there his power on the screen meant that you just couldn't take your eyes off him. I mean, he's really before my time as well, and I'm definitely older than you. But does his legacy still survive? What did he give to the United States? Absolutely. I just think he created acceptance for not just Black actors, but people in Black entertainment at large, and allowing them and giving a model for them to be able to show that they can have success in entertainment during a time period where most people weren't accepted for big movie roles or obviously roles that led to success of them being Academy Award winner. So I think the foundation that he laid ultimately led to black entertainment being able to thrive to places unimaginable as we see right now today, as many black entertainers are having lots of success. A lot of that is credited to the foundation laid by Sidney Poitier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those three movies, those films that I mentioned, To Serve With Love, In the Heat of the Night, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, they're all from the same year, 1967. So tell us about 1967. What was happening in the 60s in the U.S. when Sidney Poitier was there on these big screens all over the nation? Well, this was the height of the civil rights movement, and you had a lot of people out protesting. You had people out putting a, a very public fight up to change the racism narrative and just the realities of racism in the United States of America at the time. And for Sidney Poitier to have the courage to be on the big screen and portray these messages in art form was very, very important because a lot of people in those communities at that time, racism 
was a normalized thing for them. So being able to see it from a lens of art and the way that Sidney Portier was able to portray that through his acting, it gave people a more clear understanding of racism and the negative things that come with it and allow for even more of a push for change in anti-racism at large. What about representation in the American entertainment industry today? I mean, I saw a clip of uh, Denzel Washington saying how much he loves Sidney Poitier. We've, of course, had the first black president, Barack Obama, putting that Presidential Medal of Freedom around Sidney Poitier's neck. What about representation today in the American entertainment industry? Well, while we're always putting up a fight for more representation for the black community and other underserved communities here in America in the spaces of entertainment, it is safe to say that in this streaming era in particular, you are seeing a lot more of these networks dig deeper and be more authentic and more graphic and really speaking to the plight of not only black Americans, but all underserved Americans and allowing folks to be able to see that art in ways that was just allowed or folks attempted to hide networks in particular attempted to hide back in the days that Sidney Poitier came to his rise of prominence prominence in the entertainment industry. So I think you see more representation and I think you see more courage to dig deeper in some of these American plights that are not so great from these underserved communities to tell their real and authentic stories for folks to be able to accept, receive, and then try to make basic progress based on what we now know by way of the arts and not just legends or narratives that, we to- that we've that we been told in different communities across America that may not necessarily align with the authenticity and the reality of what a lot of these networks are willing to dig deeper into to speak about all of these things. Yeah, I mean, you yourself, you're sort of in the entertainment industry if you're a podcaster, presumably, right? And we've got, um, yes. I mean... What, Spike Lee could well be the most famous uh, African-American director in the country. Sidney Poitier did direct as well. He didn't have as much success, obviously, as he did as an actor in front of the camera. But again, just to go back to where we started, where do you think Hollywood especially would be without a Sidney Poitier, without the Sidney Poitier, I should say? I tell you, we wouldn't have seen as much progress in Hollywood as we've seen to date. And that's not to say somebody couldn't have come along and been as talented as Sidney Poitier and as courageous as Sidney Poitier during the time period that he was. But the reality is it was Sidney Poitier who laid the foundation during a time period where the narratives and the messages that he portrayed in his films and by way of his acting was really something that you shouldn't be doing and you were really putting your life on the line beyond just what we see through the screen, through the television screen or on film. He was putting his life on the line for folks to be able to have countless opportunities that we see black people have in Hollywood today. So with no Sidney Poitier, you don't have the Spike Lees. You don't have the Denzel Washingtons. You don't have people like me who is in different sectors of entertainment and making a space for myself in this field as a black man as well. So you got to credit the foundation that he laid for us, for us to be able to thrive and take things to higher heights in the entertainment industry based on the sacrifice Sidney Poitier was willing to make with his life to be able to allow opportunities for generations to come. Devon, love the fact that you share the same passion that we all do for Sidney Poitier's wonderful life and career. Thank you so much indeed for talking to us. Devon Pouncey in Portland, Oregon. All right. Um, Just to talk a little bit more about Sidney Poitier, and again, I think you got a very 
general understanding of his impact and his influence by way of that segment right there. But the thing that was most interesting to me is looking to where we are today and you look at these DSPs or these digital streaming platforms, you have, you know, the Netflixes who are partnering with people like Colin Kaepernick for specials. You have, you know, the HBOs, the stars, the list goes on in regards to these digital streaming platforms. But I do think it's very interesting that they are willing to dig so much deeper into the plight of all of these different people in America in ways that I don't know, because I wasn't alive back then, but I'm sure it just wouldn't happen by way of most of those networks, especially in the 60s during the civil rights era. America just hadn't progressed to the point, obviously, from an arts standpoint to the point where we are today. And it's just it's just so fascinating to know that Sidney Poitier was willing to not only step up and allow his talent to thrive in a time where that was a risk a risk to his entire life cuz you got to think about the people who were killed in the 60s that were putting their lives on the line by way of maybe activism obviously you got Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. you have the Malcolm X of the world you have you have even the JFKs of the world and people who really had a particular message in favor of a particular group during the civil rights era, and they were able to speak to those plights and fight for change for these underserved communities in ways that ultimately led to them dying. <laughs> it literally led to them dying. And knowing that by way of the arts, Sidney Poitier was able to portray these uh, these sort of sociopolitical messages by way of his acting, but also be talented enough to be able to come the first black Oscar award winner is just, it's absolutely insane and it's absolutely incredible. And I felt like it wouldn't have been right to start this podcast without acknowledging Sidney Poitier. Because as I spoke to there in the segment, you know, I'm an entertainer myself, obviously, Podcast is entertainment. Like, you come here to be entertained. You obviously come here to learn. You may have a particular interest in me and what I do, and I'm grateful for all of you that do have an interest in me and what it is that I do. I'm a man of many hats, and I try to bring all of those different hats that I wear to this here studio to be able to just discuss all these fascinating things that I have the fortune to be a part of, but also that have a real effect and a real impact on the world. But as a sports broadcaster, that is flat-out entertainment. Like, I'm on ESPN Plus broadcasting these games every week or, you know, at least during the basketball season, essentially every week. Whenever Portland State has an home game, I'm at ESPN Plus and I'm broadcasting these games. And there's no way that one can say that that isn't entertainment. I'm a DJ as well. You see me go out to these different gigs and and do my DJing thing, whether I'm DJing at the Moxie Hotel or I'm DJing at uh, a festival in Atlanta, it, the, the ADC Fest in Atlanta, AC3 Fest, excuse me. All of these things, like, these are all forms of entertainment. And to know that I don't get the opportunities that I'm able to get today in the entertainment industry 
without somebody like a Sidney Portier being willing to risk his entire life to portray messaging. This podcast here, we speak about sports, politics, and culture. We get deep into social issues and things that are going on. And I do it kind of freely, honestly. Like, I do this podcast and I come in with no worries that whatever I say on this podcast, I can walk out of here and somebody's going to want to smoke me or shoot me down because of whatever it is that I'm talking about on this here very platform. That luxury wasn't afforded to Sidney Poitier back in those days. Obviously, he was able to survive it, but the fact that I don't have to look over my shoulder to see if somebody is going to come in here and do whatever to I me, mean, at least not yet. Maybe we'll get to a stage where we're so big and I'll start getting the death threats and I'll start getting all the weird things that you see people do with all of these different podcasters, radio shows, so on and so on and so forth that have sort of these mainstream or just flat out bigger platforms than maybe I do. But the fact that I can come in here and do this thing so freely week in and week out, sometimes those are luxuries even I forget about until somebody like a Sidney Portier passes away and you have to sit there and think back and reflect on what he did when he did it and what that meant for what I do. It's just absolutely incredible to think about and be able to sit here and give him his flowers. Obviously, you know, he's not living to be able to smell them. And even if he was, who knows if he would be able to uh, hear what I had to say on this podcast. But there's no way that I can't sit here and acknowledge Sidney Poitier in his passing because he blazed the trail for young people like me. Obviously, he blazed the trail for black actors. In fact, uh, Miles Bullock, who we had on the podcast here towards the end of the year last year from BMF, the hit show BMF on Stars, I tried to get him that segment. He reached back out to me too late when I tried to get him that segment because I wanted him to be able to speak to TRT as a black actor who's having some success right now. And, you know, the the the, the trailblazer that Sidney Portier was for him in regards to them being in the same direct industry as actors in entertainment. Obviously, I'm not an actor, but I, I entertain in other ways. But, um, yeah, we just had to acknowledge his greatness, who he is what he did, and it just felt right to play that clip because I felt like it was very substantial, and I was so grateful and elated and fortunate to be able to speak to the legacy of Sidney Poitier in that way, and uh, rest in peace to him, condolences to his family, and I'm grateful for all the contributions he's made to allow so many opportunities for me and countless others in black entertainment. But now... It's time to talk a little bit of sports, and I want to talk about the return of Klay Thompson because we talked about this a little bit last week on last week's episode. I've talked about Klay Thompson and my belief in him as a player and my fandom of Klay Thompson as a player and a person. I love his mentality out there on the floor. He's he's so tenacious. He's so chippy, um, and he's just flat out good. The dude is good, and he came back. He returned on Sunday. The Warriors played against the Cavaliers, who I actually got to see the Cavaliers play just two days before that here in Portland. They beat the Portland Trailblazers. But Klay Thompson came back, and obviously it was a huge deal for the world of sports. Um, I told you on last week's episode, I'm watching both games at the same time. I'm watching the 
the Raiders Chargers game, which I'll get into here in a little bit. And I'm obviously watching Clay Thompson's return at the same time as both were must see TV for me, especially with my fandom of of both squads. But obviously, I'm grateful to see Clay Thompson return. The Warriors are definitely a, a contender and a threat to go out and win a title this year. But after beating the Cavaliers, they had to follow up and play against the Memphis Grizzlies. And for those of you that aren't paying attention to the Memphis Grizzlies right now, they're on like a 10-game win streak. I think it's right at 10 right now. Ja Morant is playing out of his absolute mind right now. And they're just a good young team that's continuing to improve and get better as the years progress, as their leader gets better in John Morant, that team is elevating and getting better. And he has a group of young guys around him as the centerpiece of that squad who are all improving and getting better all at the same time. And they're playing great basketball right now. They're a legitimate problem in the West as far as I'm concerned. Don't think they'll win it, but definitely not a team that you want to see. But it was interesting because in that game, even though the Cavs are playing pretty well right now as well, but that game, it was a road game in Memphis, and the Warriors have branded the term strength in numbers. And I think this iteration of Warrior basketball that we've seen this season is very reflective of the early days of them winning titles, at least prior to Kevin Durant showing up to plan for the Warriors, because this team is deep. And there's absolutely nothing wrong to be deep. There's actually a lot more good about having a deep roster than not. Guys competing to compete at a high level, and you know that you have dependable guys deep down in your bench. As Steve Curry, you've got to have some sense of confidence and some sense of comfortability with that. But I saw something in that game that kind of interested me, and it's something that I want to look out for as the season progresses, the Warriors have obviously had a great record up to this point. But Draymond Green didn't play in that game. Obviously, somebody who's a key contributor for the Warriors. Klay Thompson did play in that game. James Wiseman has still yet to return. But that was the first game that felt like a playoff game since clay has been back. Obviously, there was a lot more excitement around him coming back and playing against the Cavaliers. But for that game, it felt sort of playoffish because it was two Western Conference teams who were competing right at the top of the conference or near the top of the conference for the Grizzlies. The Warriors, obviously, right there, you know, fluctuating between one and two week to week as they continue to play games. And obviously, the Suns, who's doing really well right now, too, at the top of the Western Conference. But... I'm wondering what adjustments Steve Kurt is going to make because I just don't see a world where making a deep playoff run, you're going to regularly be able to go down to the 11th man on your bench night in and night out. Again, the fact that he can go 11 deep and still compete at a contender level, because that's obviously what the Warriors are right now today, prior to the playoffs, even prior to All-Star game. But 
there comes a time where you're going to have to kind of shorten your rotation a bit, especially when you get deeper into the season and you're only playing against good teams night in and night out, obviously, in the postseason. You're playing against playoff caliber teams that actually made it to the playoffs. Whatever breaks happen, I can't really speak to because we don't know until the time comes, but I do see a world where Steve Kerr is going to have to make a decision to shrink that rotation down to maybe eight or nine. And that is going to be a tough decision to have to make, but you have to 100% commit to Klay Thompson. Let me start there. With Klay Thompson being back, the same way he committed to Klay Thompson as being a starter on this team, he's going to have to commit to Klay Thompson as a guy that you expect to be an all-star, a guy that you expect to be a near superstar as time progresses and you get closer to two playoff time. But that also means that other guys aren't going to play. And I'm not here to say who's not going to play or not because, like I said, night in and night out, guys are producing at different levels and having the luxury to be able to go 11 deep to be able to know that I've got guys deep down this bench that I can put in there and there won't be too significant of a drop-off. When you start to play against the best teams, you can't go that deep. You just can't. You're playing against superstars night in and night out. You're playing against well-oiled machines night in and night out. That doesn't mean each guy won't be – you won't have 11 different guys that can have a moment in the playoffs, but you're not going to be able to have 11-man rotation. So I'm just interested to see how the return of Klay Thompson is going to impact how Steve Kerr's rotations are going to be. Because also, if you want Klay Thompson to catch rhythm to the Klay Thompson we once knew, like, obviously, you know he's got to get in shape. He's got to build up a bit more stamina to be able to play 30 to 35 minutes in the game. And right now, he's not doing that because you want to build him back up to that particular point. But again, you're going to have to commit to Klay Thompson playing that many minutes a game. How does that impact the Jordan Poole? who's been able to come out and be the second option in that backcourt, who now could come off the bench and be the first option off the bench in the backcourt, but may not be able to catch rhythm in the ways that he was able to prior to Klay Thompson coming back. You've got guys like Gary Payton II, great friend of mine, obviously, and I'm a little biased, but he has absolutely proven that he belongs to be in that eight or nine rotation. Whoever Steve Kerr sees fit in that rotation, GP2's got to be one of those guys. A guy who came in as the 15th roster slot, who got cut after preseason and re-signed with the Warriors. He filled the last slot on the roster. He has now expedited himself into a rotation player, period. His defense is too good. His ability to spark and create highlights at a high clip is too good. And again, he's picking up the best player on the opposing team, 94 feet. Like, John Morant got off in that game against the Warriors. But if you watch that game, when GP2 guarded John Morant, especially during that comeback that the Warriors made, because they were down 18 and ended up taking the lead, a lot of that was credited to... GP2 didn't start in that game. He did start in the second half, and his assignment was to put his head in John Morant's chest and follow him all 94 feet of the floor and just take him away as an option or at least neutralize him as an option out there, especially considering who he actually is when you don't neutralize him, which is a near superstar. At least he's producing like a near superstar. But... I'm just interested to see how Kerr is going to really fill out 
this rotation because, you know, you got a guy like Andre Iguodala who's a seasoned vet, but how long do you stick with Andre Iguodala? And again, that's not to say you won't play 11 and 12 guys throughout the playoffs. I'm saying night in and night out, your rotation is going to have to shrink tremendously. And the deeper you get as guys return, the more guys who probably feel like rotation players and who have held their own for this first portion of the season, the landscape changes for this team. And I'm just interested in seeing how they're going to adapt. Again, I hope they adapt and, and are champions when all's, when all's said and done. But I just also know basketball, and I know the deeper you get into a season, as teams start to iron out their kinks and as a team start to gain identities and know who they are, you have to shrink your rotation to the guys that you absolutely trust out there on the floor at all times because you're playing against a team that trusts each other at all times, which is what led them to the success of being a playoff team, obviously, once we get to that point. So, again, super happy for Klay Thompson being back, but also super interested and intrigued on how this Warriors team is going to adapt and and more particularly, what adjustments is Steve Kerr going to make as a coach as we get down to a time period where – the basketball games are going to become more important. Again, right now they're neck and neck with the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference. There's going to get a point where you got to start playing for seeding and you have less opportunities to put yourself in position to maybe be a number one seed and be able to host the entire playoffs, essentially, or however far it is that you go in the playoffs as the team with home court advantage. So as the games start to get more important, They've definitely did a great job and given themselves a cushion to know that, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs this year. <laughs> like, they have absolutely killed it this first half of the season, and we're still not even at all-star break. They've given themselves a cushion to experiment a little bit, but there's going to come a time where you can't really experiment anymore. You got to go out there and win basketball teams, games against teams who have found their formula and they aren't experimenting either. So interested to see that. Um, also sticking with basketball, Damian Lillard, he had surgery today. Um, he had abdomen surgery. He'll be out six to eight weeks. He might even sit out for the remainder of the season. I'm glad that Damian Lillard shut himself down. In fact, I think, first off, I'm wishing Dame well. I want him to recover as swiftly as possible and as efficiently as possible. I don't wish injury on anybody. I hate that injuries are a part of sports. I do. I absolutely hate that injuries are a part of sports. But it's a reality that when you play physical sports and contact sports, you're just not really going to be able to avoid 100%. But I do think that for Blazer fans – not having Damien on the floor allows for not only Blazer fans to actually enjoy Blazer basketball right now, but also for some real significant player development to take place within this organization. And you can already start looking forward to next season. Again, when I say enjoy Blazer basketball, it's not enjoyable to watch this Blazer team lose 
when Dame Damian Lillard gives his all out there. He's playing through an abdomen injury. He's trying to play at a superstar level, but he obviously can't play his best because he's not feeling his best. He's got an injury that he he needs an operation on, and obviously he got his operation today on the abdomen injury. But having him out there and still losing is just not enjoyable because we all know that Damian Lillard has championship aspirations. And that's all it is that Damian wants to do is compete year in and year out to win a championship. And he's committed to doing that in Portland until he's not. He's yet to decommit from wanting to win a championship here in the city of Portland. But thus far, he has been 100% committed to this organization but he has not been shy of letting folks know what his goals are with this team. Now, having him out six to eight weeks and allowing these young players to develop because you're not going to recruit guys to Portland after the season that this team has had this year. It's a problem that the Blazers have been having, and if you couldn't get guys to come to Portland when they went to eight straight playoff appearances and Damian Lillard was having these late-game clutch heroics and you know another superstar another superstar paired with Damian Lillard automatically essentially puts you as a contender because he's that good of a player. If you couldn't recruit guys to come to Portland then, you damn sure ain't recruiting nobody to come to Portland now or this upcoming offseason after what this season has essentially turned into for the Blazers. But, but, the only way that these young players develop is to be out there on the floor and get their ass kicked a little bit. And I think the perfect example of that right now is the Golden State Warriors. I mean, obviously, you got Klay Thompson back now, but prior to that, it was Steph Curry, it was Draymond Green, and it was a bunch of young dudes who had to go through hell the last couple of years to be able to get back to a point where the Warriors are right now as one of the top teams in the NBA and a team that's a contender expected to at least get to the Western Conference Finals. That's what the Warriors now are. But... Let's not forget the last couple of years after Kevin Durant leaves, after Clay Thompson is hurt for two years, tearing an Achilles and an ACL. Steph Curry had that season just after they lost to the Raptors where he hurt his hand, he hurt his hand and he was out for majority of that season, which again, it was a season that they didn't need him because they had no chance at winning that year. The same thing is happening with Damian Lillard right now. CJ goes out, obviously, with the collapsed lung. You're definitely not winning with no CJ and just Dame out there with a bunch of young guys who just aren't quite there yet. They may get there, they have potential, all the things, but aren't quite there yet. It's what Jordan Poole had to go through. It's what Juan Toscano had to go through. And I'm obviously naming off Warrior players right now. It's what a guy like Andrew Wiggins even had to go through. Like, these guys had to go through getting their ass kicked a couple of years with no stars essentially there for them. Maybe just Draymond Green, who obviously isn't a prolific scorer. So guys had to really step up and try to score to win basketball games and to grow their confidence. And 
Those ass whoopings might have hurt at the time, obviously, especially coming off of being at the height of the NBA and going on essentially a dynasty run, going to five straight NBA Finals appearances, winning three out of those five, five NBA Finals, and now you've plummeted to the worst team in the league. You get to draft a young Jazz, uh, James Wiseman because you get the number two pick in the draft because your team was so bad. And then, obviously, you go through another year where Steph returned last year but again, those guys were a year older, and obviously Steph couldn't sit out for that long of a time. Like, he still got to go out there and play. But we saw an improvement in Toscano. We saw a little bit of an improvement in Wiggins. Steph definitely had did his heroics the same way we've seen Damian Lillard do for years here in Portland with underdeveloped guys or with guys who might not be the names that you would see on a championship-caliber roster. And now that all the stars are coming back and things are starting to line up. Jordan Poole's looking like a most improved player of the year. Juan Toscano is out there dunking on shot blockers like JaVale McGee. Gary Payton II, who's been through an absolute G League grind, has now gotten into this rotation, and he's one of the best on-ball defenders in the NBA. Andrew Wiggins, who we know has been underwhelming as a number one draft pick, was able to finally play for a team where he didn't have the pressures of playing with another superstar, and he had to just kind of go through the grind of taking some losses, but I'm able to now focus on my improvement and my development as a player because I know we're not going to win games with this roster that we currently have, This, but with Carl Anthony Towns, they had expectations to go out there and win, and quite frankly, he just wasn't ready to handle those expectations at that time. So now to see him have these last couple of years where there's no championship expect expectation, guys just want to see you get better because we know you are number one pick, so the potential is obviously there to be a great player. He's an all-star in my eyes this year. He's the second leading scorer on the Warriors. He's become known as one of the better defenders in the NBA, and the Warriors are near the top of the league in, in regards to wins. Andrew Wiggins, in the last couple of years, has developed into an all-star. So I say all that to say, this is what I can see the Blazers doing right now is really developing these young guys because you're going to have to commit to these young guys and you're going to have to commit to Damian Lillard because obviously, one, he's just too good of a player not to commit to. Two, he's committed to you, so you shouldn't expect him to leave anytime soon. And three, even at the height of his success during what has been a phenomenal career so far, already named in the NBA 75 he ain't been able to attract nobody that is worthy to be able to say as soon as they show up in Portland, they have championship expectations. So the Blazers just have to commit to let these young guys take their bumps and bruises this year, the remainder of this season, but let an Anthony Simons de develop. Let a Nasir Little develop. Let some of these young guys really develop so when Damian Lillard does return, which might not even be until next season – He's not playing with under, underdeveloped guys, and he's able to do what we've seen the Warriors be able to do up to this point, obviously, prior to Klay Thompson's return. And even last year, we saw a, a step up 
And obviously, Steph Curry had a lot of do, to do with that, but they were a playing team last year when the season prior, they were a bottom-of-the-barrel team coming off of going to five straight NBA Finals appearances. So I just think there's some good to take away from this. Obviously, you know, you want to prioritize Damian Lillard's health first and foremost and that he has the best recovery he can possibly have and he comes back as the Damian Lillard that we've all grown to love in the basketball community. But... Blazer fans, let these young dudes take their bumps, man, because this might just be what the Blazers need to become that team that can compete for a championship someday. With that said, you know, it's just me solo here today. I wanted to talk a little bit of basketball, but I got one more thing that I got to talk about. And damn it, it's my Las Vegas Raiders. Boy, it's still hard to say Las Vegas Raiders. I wanted to say Oakland Raiders so bad, but I swallowed it and said Las Vegas because it's who we are. I just got to accept it at this point. But we made it. Zeb, you behind the controls over there? We made it. (laughs) We made it. We made it in the wildest of fashions. Obviously, winning in overtime over the Los Angeles Chargers in a game that Probably should have tied, but the Chargers made sort of a bonehead mistake calling the timeout and leaving time on the clock for us to be able to push to get in field goal position and ultimately nail a field goal to win the game with about two seconds left on the clock. Game over. We're in the playoffs. We're playing against the Bengals this year. But, again, I said it last week, and I'll say it again, and you can call it too much pride. You can call it bias. You can call it what you want to, but I think the spirit of John Madden is going to travel with us down to the jungle against the Cincinnati Bengals, who've been playing well this year. Obviously, Joe Burrow has been lights out as a QB this year, but you're never going to hear me say that the Raiders are going to lose a playoff game. We don't get there enough for me to come in and not say that we're going to win. We got to go out there and win because I don't know the next time the Raiders are going to get back to the playoffs. I will say this, though. I'm so happy for Derek Carr. I'm so happy for Derek Carr because had we lost that game, everybody's already been speaking about, you know, whether this should be uh, Derek Carr's last year as a Las Vegas Raider. And I think he's deserved some of the criticisms that he's received because we know how good of a quarterback he can be, but it's just more so how consistently can he be the best iteration of himself. And it's not often that we see him week in and week out just kill it. Or we might see him kill it for four or five weeks and then shit to bed for another four or five weeks. And then we get into a position like we're in right now where we're planning to get into the playoffs on the last week of the season. But had he lost to Justin Herbert in that game against the Los Angeles Chargers, I would have been on the train that Derek Carr has to go. Haven't been on that train yet. You haven't heard me say that here on this podcast. But That game was the determining factor if I was going to hop on the train because I'll tell you, that Justin Herbert, he's only going to get better, and he is already lights out. And this is something that I knew because I covered Justin Herbert when I was at 750 the game and he played for the Ducks because obviously 750 the game was the home of the Ducks. So I got to see Justin Herbert, and even then you knew. He's not necessarily the perfect college quarterback like maybe a Marcus Mariota was who preceded him, but uh, he's going to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback, and we've already seen 
more than glimpses of it. Like, we know that Justin Herbert is already the real deal as a quarterback, but knowing that you've already got Patrick Mahomes in the AFC West, if Justin Herbert was to beat Derek Carr in that game to go to the playoffs, now Derek Carr becomes essentially the third best quarterback in the AFC West. I don't want no parts of that. <laughs> I don't want any parts of my quarterback being the third best quarterback in my division. I just don't want no parts of that because, like I said, he obviously ain't surpassing Mahomes. We've seen what the Chiefs have done to the Raiders both times this year. But Justin Herbert is a guy who we know is only going to get better. But as long as Derek Carr is better than him, because we know how good Justin Herbert already is and the potential that Justin Herbert has to be a great NFL quarterback, as long as Derek Carr is better than Justin Herbert – I'm rolling with Derek Carr until the wheels fall off. But when that day comes that we can sit here and, and confidently say, not who has this higher ceiling, but right now, present day, who's the better quarterback between Derek Carr and Justin Herbert? When that day comes that we can say that Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Derek Carr, one hump, the same way we can say Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback than Derek Carr, that'll be the day that, I won't be on the Derek Carr train anymore, and I'll be willing and ready to ship him out of Las Vegas. But guess what? We beat the Chargers, baby, and we'll be playing this weekend against the Bengals, and I couldn't be more hyped for it. And Derek Carr, I'm rolling. You rocking? I'm rolling, baby. Let's go in there and let's knock Joe Burrow off because that's another quarterback in the league that's kind of like in the same tier as Derek Carr right now in regards to, like, they're kind of equal. Obviously, Joe Burrow might have had a little bit better of a season, but Derek Carr is good enough and obviously has gotten us to a point of getting into the playoffs to where if Derek Carr beats Joe Burrow this weekend, I think you still got to give Derek Carr the edge as the better quarterback. Derek Carr, I'm rolling with you, man. So I'm excited, man, for Raider playoff football. I'm obviously a crazy fan. I mean, I named my first Patreon tier the Just Win Baby tier. So y'all know what it is with me and the Raiders, but I'm super excited about us going to the playoffs and being able to compete ultimately for a Super Bowl, man. I got Super Bowl aspirations. We're here now. We're not coming out here to roll over for anybody. And the way we've played in the last few weeks – I'm confident we can go out there and win a playoff game or two. And then, you know, from there, maybe luck's on our side. And the Las Vegas Raiders ends up Super Bowl champions. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad story. That's not a bad way for us to go out. In fact, it's the best way for us to go out. And it's the way that I'm rooting for us to go out. But again, I'm excited. I hope Derek Cargo gives, um, goes and gives Joe Burrow the business this weekend. Because I'm rolling with him until those wheels fall off. But when them wheels fall off... I'm going with the wheels, baby. Whatever train is rolling over there, that's the train I'm on because the wheels ain't with you. But, um, yeah, again, excited for that game. And I also, before we close out, want to give a congratulations to that of Dan Lanning, who is the new head coach of the Oregon Ducks. He was the defensive coordinator for University of Georgia. They went out and beat Alabama in the national championship game. So I still don't know much about Dan Lanning, but I do know – he had a hell of a defense over there at University of Georgia, and it's not a bad thing coming down to Eugene 
fresh off of winning a natty. So definitely excited to see what he could do in Eugene. But uh, that's all I got for you all this week. Again, we'll have a Patreon episode coming out in the next few days. So make sure that you subscribe to the Just Win Baby tier, which is our first tier exclusively on Patreon. Again, the content's going to be dope. We're getting into the NFTs and the metaverse and all of that stuff. A lot of us don't know much about it. But, again, I got somebody that's going to join us that at least knows a little bit more about it than me. On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. (laughs) 